Welcome to the Solarize podcast from creator, founder, and author Spencer Burke, where we have candid conversations with spiritual innovators, visionaries, change makers, creatives from the edge. These are the people that serve as our scouts and outlooks. The voice is calling for a more humane future, one we desire and are working toward. Both the beauty of New Horizons and the difficulties of taking risks will pepper all of our interviews. Welcome to the Solarize Files podcast. My name is Matt Kinzera. Here as always, or I should say as usual, is Spencer Burke. Spencer, welcome. Good to see you again. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks so much. I so appreciate you doing this, Matt. And it's great just to bring these kinds of conversation to the forefront. So it's fun to partner with you. Absolutely. And today I'm really excited about our guest today. He's somebody that ever since I saw him at the Solarize conference, I've just been keeping my eye on him. I was deeply inspired by uh, what he shared that day. And so today we have the founding director of the Glean Network, Rabbi Ilan Babchek. Ilan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt and Spencer. As always, uh, great to see your face, man. It's it's wonderful to, to, to see you smiling and to be exploring these topics as we, are, we have been doing for years, but now we get to do it in front of a microphone. <laughs> it's great. It is fun. Elon, why don't you start for the listeners who may not know who you are? Just give us a kind of bird's eye view of who you are and what you do. I'm an entrepreneurial rabbi or I'm a rabbinic entrepreneur. And, and I think you know both of those things are probably in conversation with one another. My, I come from a line of uh, four generations of chief rabbis in um, Tiberias. On my mom's side and on my dad's side, I come from three generations of small business, kind of middle-class entrepreneurs. And, uh, and both of those things are, both of those traditions, those inheritances are alive and well in the work I do every day. Uh, so I'm, among other things, I'm, I serve as the uh, founding director of Glean Network. And, um, you know, Glean Network really is we see ourselves at that intersection, that same intersection between this wisdom tradition of entrepreneurship, meaning, you know, the way we see it, of the, the ones who take risks, the ones who look for gaps in the world and say, I'm, I'm not going to rest until that gap is filled and until those people are served and until that need is met. And then on the other side, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the wisdom traditions that are inherent in both established faith traditions and emergent ones. And so we're kind of right in the middle there. Uh, one of our projects is we have uh, an incubator called the Start Fellowship, and, uh, and that's, that's just one of many. So we have, uh, thankfully, we have a lot of fascinating things going on, and we've been around for six years. We're moving into our seventh. We kind of see it as a sabbatical opportunity to step back, take a breath. And, and what, what we always push ourselves to do is stay at the cutting edge of our own thinking which means surrounding ourselves by incredible people like the two of you. Spencer, Ilan had, had referenced that you guys have known each other for a while. Share a little bit of the connection between the two of you, maybe between Solarize and the Glean Network. Yeah. So I didn't realize it's already been seven years. It's just crazy. But we got in conversation because about six, seven, maybe even eight years ago, a whole kind of emerging trend had been coming up with the idea of spiritual entrepreneurship, maybe a whole new discipline. And so Alon and I and Erwin got together quite a number of Fridays, actually, early morning, and kind of just had these great, wonderful conversations about what if and what could be, because we were seeing the early intersections of faith, business, 
entrepreneurship, innovation, all kind of rolling up together. And so we just became these wonderful conversation partners to try to figure out what uh, what it might look like. I had the privilege of being in uh, the second one of the start incubators, uh, along with Jack and the gang at Columbia Business School with Elon. And uh, I just always loved to learn and listen and hear and see. And uh, it was just really a powerful community. I think that's the other thing, uh, Elon, that you do so well is not only to help teach, to uh, allow people to, you know, uh, their head to be able to understand and explode in these wonderful new ideas and fields, but you've created a network and a community of people, like-minded people who are really asking, how can we not just do it better, but how can we do it with a full heart? You know, how can we actually bring just the beauty of who we are to the place in which we are? And I think sometimes that happens in religious settings, but I've also watched you do it in other settings where people of business want to integrate their faith. So I think the way you explain, you know, your your connection, your lineage is really powerful, the way in which you bring your mother's and father's lineage together in this way. And I think that's very, very true. So um, I've really enjoyed uh, just journeying with Alon. He's just somebody I, I can use as a sounding board and idea. And people who, this is another thing, Alon, I'd like you to know is that people who I've you know said, oh, you ought to talk to Alon or you ought to check Glean or whatever. Every single person has this beautiful kind of expression after meeting you and seeing like, I just felt like he was listening to me. I felt like he just, he would allow anything to happen. You know, like there is this beauty of support, love, care, and compassion that you give to almost anyone I've sent your way. And I just really respect that. And then of course with Solarize, it's been great to journey with you. Uh, he was a judge with us uh, on our uh, startup contests and uh, it just, uh, his wisdom is insight. He did a demystifying the startup pitch. And so he just has a beautiful, wonderful background in that. And uh, just always a great conversation partner and and just even a wonderful listening friend. So that's that's been my enjoyable journey with Elon. So. The feeling is absolutely mutual on uh, just everything you just said. And, and of course, mirroring back, like anyone I send your way, they all I get is a thank you note. Just like you just opened up a whole new world for me by connecting me to Spencer. And that that for me is, you know, that that's part of the joy of being in this really emergent space is it's it's about relationships and it's also about identifying who you want to be in the drama. You know, there is there's a real unfolding drama happening right now and and it's and it's a there's a meta drama right and then there's the little micro dramas that happen every day in our institutions in our churches our synagogues our mosques in our leadership roles and i think i think so much of this work is about knowing exactly who you want to be it's like you know moses had to take a it took him a while to figure out who he was going to be in the in the moment of exodus drama but miriam knew exactly who she was going to be the second she woke up on that night when finally Pharaoh said, okay, everyone out. How do I know? Because she grabbed the tambourines and she said, my role in this drama is I'm going to make sure that we celebrate when we make it there. Right. And so I think every single one of us has to come to at least question and maybe complicate who we want to be in that drama over time. And, and for me, I've been continued to be reinforced by this notion that I get such joy out of connecting amazing people, right? And, and being in the room with amazing people who every single one of them becomes my teacher. My, my, my wife once quoted someone else and said, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. 
the good thing for me is I never have to worry about that, right? Because <laughs> one, because that's who I am. I'm not the smartest person, but I get to surround myself by people who really step into that role of becoming my teacher about whatever it is, about their life, about the world, about this spiritual entrepreneurship stuff. And, and so that lets me continue to, to, to grow into my own role in that drama, which is I really feel like my calling in this world is to help other people answer theirs. Well, and I'd also say that another bonding part for our conversation has been that we weren't always this. We were people in kind of the, quote, mega world within our own faith communities, and there was a time of questioning and wondering and moving and changing. So we might not always know who we are. I'm thinking of some people who are listening to the podcast right now. You know, Some people might be in that place where, wow, I've had this career, this understanding, this place, and now I'm in that desert. I'm in that journey. I'm in that space, liminal space, where I don't know. But I think both of us can say we came to another place but it was with other relationships and other learning and people and people who journeyed with us. So I would say for anyone who's listening today, I'd, I'd invite you to hear people who've gone through the journey. You know, it's that entrepreneurial thing. Like, you know, you're up at the top of the hill, you go, oh, I'm amazing. This is great. You know, and then all of a sudden you just crash and burn in the valley. And you're like, oh man, I'm crap. I can't believe. And then you just get to the top of the game again. It just is kind of probably going to be a roller coaster. And probably the peaks and the pits are going to be much quicker than we've ever had before, too. You know, I mean, you could have gone 20 years and then taken a road, but I think it's going to happen quicker. So I'm thinking about those who might find themselves in this place right now and just kind of asking the questions in leadership in their faith community. We were just talking earlier about the idea of how, for the first time, there is a place in which uh, there are not as many leaders in the places of faith to fill the roles that have been open. But also, there's the question, are we training people for jobs who no longer exist? I mean, seminaries and such. Uh, I've always wondered, like, man, uh, the, the teaching I got would never carry me today. Uh, the tasks that I was trained for aren't the tasks that are there. In fact, I probably read more business books today than I do theological works. Uh, and it might be because I've, uh, you know, of my own personal background, but there is something afoot, something that's happening. So maybe even for some people who are listening that might be in this field and they're like, man, I just, do I just walk away or do I just skate till retirement or <laughs> what, what do I do? You know, like, any thoughts or ideas as you've been kind of reading some of the news of the day? I think there's two things I want to, maybe, maybe even three. There's uh, Father Richard Rohr has just, a, you know, you talked about being in this liminal moment and he's got this beautiful take on what it means. Liminal just literally means betwixt, between on the doorstep of something. And uh, the way he describes it is, is that when we create the spaciousness for liminal thinking to occur, and, and by the way, that's not easy. Sometimes that means looking out at the drama unfolding and grieving the drama, and naming the drama, but being able to create the spaciousness, the, the enabling conditions for that kind of liminal thinking to occur is one of the hardest challenges facing faith leaders today. I just want to say just when you're putting out fire after fire and we're, you know, in, in the midst maybe of a new time in this pandemic, but when you're putting out fire after fire, that short-term thinking, it means you're, you can never get to that doorstep of what might come next. And so the first thing, I, you know, I, I would say, if you found 20 minutes to listen to this, 
see if you can find 20 minutes to imagine a world in which we could just dream about the future, in which we could just look out at, at our constituents and the ones who aren't yet our constituents and the ones who used to be our constituents and think about the call that we first answered and the way it's evolving today and the way it might evolve into the future and think, you know, where are the opportunities to serve? Where are the gaps out in the world? Even if it is just 20 minutes of liminal thinking, it can be, it's like a sabbatical for the soul. And I think that's, that's one, you know, I think that's an invitation into this moment. I think the second one is um, Otto Scharmer. In, in, he has this concept, developed this concept in the early 2000s. He's an MIT professor and he focuses on systems change. And he talks about, you have to turn the mirror back onto the system itself. When we talk about how is it possible that you know seminaries are closing and churches are closing, and yet we still have a shortage of pulpit clergy, and there, you know, and maybe two thousand clergy are leaving the pulpit every single month, and ten thousand churches closing every year. We have all these incredible meta trends that are part of this meta narrative, and they're all part of a system. They're all part of a system that is intricately and really, uh, in a very complex way, interwoven. Right, every one of those institutions and levels is in some way, shape, or form dependent upon the other. So it's like the seminaries are waiting for the denominations and the denominations are waiting for the, you know, the churches and the churches are waiting for the people to come in and, okay, come and tell us what you want. And the people are, maybe they're not coming in and saying what they want, but maybe they're voting with their feet or they're voting with their actions or they're voting with their activism or however it is they're showing up in the world. And so part of the work is to, to identify that we are actually part of that system. Even though, Spencer, you and I opted out in a lot of ways of that quote-unquote system, we are actually a part of it. So the first thing then is for us, and this is also an invitation to everyone out there listening, to ask, okay, well, who am I in the context of that broader system? Because I am a part, there is no the system. There's just a collection of all of us, and we are just little points. So if we can turn the lens back on ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, well, what is, what is my inner life like right now as it relates to all of these shifts that are happening this tectonic shift that's happening out in the landscape what 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 does my inner life look like what is my inner voice saying to me what is my inner call and how does my inner call want me to serve and then the the last thing you know so the first is liminal thinking the second is really you know from that leading from the emergent future turn the mirror back on the system itself and then the third one is perhaps to look into a place of possibility. And I think you can't do one, you can't do the second one without the first, and we can't do the third one without the second. It's like Walter Brueggemann's grief, reality, hope cycle, right? If we're going to get to that place of hope, to answer your question, Spencer, it, it's, oh my gosh, you're telling me that there are young people going, showing up in the workplace who actually want to incorporate spiritual identity into their leadership of organizations or startups who are not ordained what? That's an incredible opportunity. You couldn't talk religion in the workplace for 30 years. You couldn't do it. And now you're telling me they want more of that? That's, you know, this article, Religious News Service, just put it out. Wow, that's an incredible opportunity. Okay, so maybe, maybe the bounds are changing. Maybe the requirements are changing. Maybe the, you don't need this title or that one, but you just need a deeper yearning. And maybe you, you need some compatriots to journey with you in the process and figure out wherever this thing is going to go and, you know, lead it where it's going to go, because you're a part of that leadership team too. 
wow, I mean, that's an incredible, what a gift. If we can look at it that way, if we can look at it that way, it can be an incredible gift. The Solarize podcast is brought to you today by our partners at the Igniting Imagination podcast. Igniting Imagination is a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. They believe every moment for change starts with conversation. They hope the conversations in these episodes might invite you into new perspectives and possibilities, inspire you with an idea, give you insight about your next faithful step, and further equip you to engage in the conversations in your context that can lead to deep change. This season, they are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information, visit their website at www.wesleyaninvestive.org forward slash igniting dash imagination dash podcast. I think there is this sense of uh, people in industry who are asking, wow, this switched and changed and um, there needs to be a deeper meaning and understanding and maybe even more humane. <laughs> the theme of humane spirituality for Solarize wasn't just for um, people in churches or synagogues or mosques. It was really for everyone who were trying to search these ideas. And we had some uh, startups and some people pitching ideas. And it was interesting to see how, you know, one would come from a philosophical point of view. Another would come from a, uh, a way in which we were trying to deal with race through drama and understanding. And another through an app uh, application of trying to create community. It was so fascinating to see people who were thinking in different ways. You know, it, we've always kind of considered kind of startups either as a side hustle or a thought or what you know. But there are people out there right now that might have some ideas. They can't quit their job. They're not really, you know, they're not going to risk it all. But they've got something, and it's it's a mixture somehow of both this idea of their of their compassion, their faith, their spirituality, but also a way in which we're trying to what we call restoring human dignity. You know, it just seems like right now more than ever, uh, the divisions and the uh, divisiveness and the, you know the projection. You know, like I can't believe it. Like every time I hear somebody say something, I go. But isn't that what you're doing? <laughs> like, it's kind of a crazy world, you know. But how can we unmask that? So as you're, you know, let's say somebody's thinking and they're going like, man, I've got an idea, you know. What what thoughts might you give them or inspirations or? Um, That's it. That's it. You know, just do it. Just try it. Just see what happens. The first thing is go listen to people. If your idea happened, it was a light bulb in the shower. Get out of the shower, get dressed, and go out and talk to people that you think are going to be served by that idea. And don't sell it to them. You're not a spiritual salesperson. You're a spiritual entrepreneur. That means listen very intentively and intuitively to what they're saying and to the still small voice that is calling out between the lines. Go listen. That's the number one thing I would say. Go, 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 go listen. And then back to the drawing board, try it out. Put it out in the world. Have a bias towards listening and a bias towards action. Those are the only biases I want in, you know, in any of these pro projects. The other thing you know, I would add is, and maybe this is, maybe this is just an invitation to, to wonder, what would the faith space look like for, for clergy who are in the pulpit or you know, leading in traditional settings? When they have a quote-unquote side hustle, you call it a ministry, Right? 
And a ministry is nice. And a ministry is usually a, a loss leader, right? Quote unquote, from a business term, you're probably spending money on it. And it oftentimes, you know, ministry can do amazing work out in the world. And it's largely susceptible to whatever the budget restrictions are for the organization, or maybe the mission of the organization. So I would, my invitation is this, what if from here on out, we treated every ministry like it was a potential venture? And that's where the domain of religion can actually be a a leader and not a follower in how we treat people. Because for the most part, the way that we in the faith world work and relate to business is we actually follow whatever the cultural cues are from a capitalist marketplace, right? And oftentimes, Spencer, echo your word, that means dehumanizing the people that we claim to serve. So what if, what if actually in the faith world, we treated every ministry like a venture and asked ourselves, that sounds amazing. How are we going to get to five years from now when that thing is self-sustaining and how are we going to build it out so it actually can work and serve the people that you want and you don't burn out? One. Two, if we can lead from that place in the world of faith, what if every new venture we treated like a ministry? Out of Silicon Valley, out of Los Angeles, I don't care where the venture is being founded. And by the way, we have higher numbers of incorporation rates of new startups in America now than we've ever had in history. Over these last two years of the pandemic, everyone talks about the great resignation. We're in a startup boom. Now, most of them are going to fail, but are those people going to learn something? Maybe. And the question is, is there an invitation that the faith world can model, not force, but model, in which every new venture gets treated like a ministry? I like that idea. And basically, we start to have new metrics then, right? It's not all the money that comes in. It's how much are we putting into people's ideas and dreams? And I like the idea of, you know, nobody wants to build something that nobody will use or want, right? So that listening component, the curiosity of the church, the church and synagogues and mosques, I don't think that these are the types of words that we think of, you know, we think in a kind of ecstasy idea of wonder or, or idea, spiritual experience, whatever. But what about the wonder of the world all around us? I know it's, it's, it is our story all of our stories. It's a spiritual story of going and listening and trying to see how we can help the other, you know, uh, and incorporate and see the other. So I think that idea of bringing the beauty of, uh, of the spirit of our communities to surround new ideas, to test them quickly, fail quick, you know, minimize that risk. You know, I mean, like, um, be careful of our own bias. Like, oh, well, what they need is just to come and sit in our pew. You know, like, no, that's not what they need. <laughs> like, how are we listening? How are we finding ways and doing the experiments? And I like that idea. I, you know, there, and we've talked about this before in other conversations. There's got to be a place where the spirit and the venture are in conversations where we can find, it. again, innovation doesn't have to be 100%, but what if it's 20% of our game where, you know, 20% of our church budgets, 20% of our, our ministry budget, 20% of our business budgets are coming together to say, where can we work together in a different way? That would be fascinating because I think that is the merge. That's that, if out of this disruption, 
this could come. And, and I don't think it's just all of a sudden. I think it has been emerging in the liminal space, you know, for probably the last 10 or longer years, really. So I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old at home. And that means my wife, Lizzie, and I are, are constantly answering really great questions about the world. You know, everything from like, well, why did the dinosaurs actually die to like, well, why, why can't we eat marshmallows for breakfast? Whatever the, you know, whatever the questions are. Three-year-olds, three and four-year-olds ask an average of 400 questions a day. And after that, it's downhill until we get to the point of whoever we are and how many questions did you actually ask that? I don't know. Right. And so when you say 20% of the budget towards innovation, 20%, 20%, I want to say at the end of every single day, when a, when a spiritual leader or a spiritual entrepreneur sits, you know, sits down to reckon with their journal or with their God or with their spouse or with their loved ones, did you ask 20% questions today? Did you ask 20%? Because if you, won't, if you gave 100% answers today, you're in the wrong game. You're in the wrong game. Religion's job was about helping us find comfort by offering some answers to the unanswerable. And really, those some answers were just, religion, I think, crafted answers to the questions that really put fear in the hearts of its followers. What happens after we die? Why is it, why is it hailing today and sunny Whatever the questions were, we crafted these beautiful meta-narratives that helped us understand the genesis of the world and how we show up in it. And those answers provided a real sense of safety and security in an unknowable world. And we overcorrected on answers. We overcorrected on answers. We are, we're beyond the scientific age. We had the rent. We know what the answers are. We're in a postmodern society right now. And yet, Religion continues to train people to be the vessels of answers and projects onto our parishioners that they are empty vessels looking, you know, looking for answers to the questions they have. Gosh, if we can't correct that 20%, we're not having this conversation in a year, Spencer, right? That 20%, at the end of the day, did you ask 20, was 20% of what came out of your mouth question? Were you curious about the person who sat across? Were you curious about the person next to you on the bench when you were waiting for the subway? Were you did, those are the questions. I'm pretty sure one of them has got to be a question that God asks us when we get to the pearly gates. How many questions did you, how curious were you? And then the question might be, if religion's part in the past was to answer these questions of, oh, there's an eclipse, it must have been a god, you know, what I mean? like, or whatever it might have been. The, you know, we have such knowledge now. What if the great need at this time is to ask, how can we be more humane to the earth? <laughs> how can we be more humane to each other? How can we, I mean, like, you look all around and and I think at least religion, spirituality, faith is the place where wars stop because we had the creative imagination and the spirit and compassion to, and mercy for each other, where I think the total failure of humanity is to actually take another life, you know, or to go into war or to conquer. So what if the real spiritual issues of today are not trying to create the answers, but are really trying to listen to each other uh, and to create together, co-creation almost, uh, these wonderful new ways of looking at the problems that maybe 
even religion created, uh, like you said, overcorrecting a little bit. So I, I don't know. I mean, I just I think that might be the spiritual yearning that I see everywhere. That I just read an article this morning is that people are not returning to their places of faith. And it's not because of the COVID. It's not because they're angry or they hated the message, whatever. There's indifference. It's just, oh, you know what? I had two years of not being there. I'm not sure it fills the same kinds of needs. So that in the box, in the rooms, you know, at a certain time, you know, there's there's another need that's emerging that I think is a deeply spiritual question uh, that could be addressed. And I think spiritual innovation is the place or spiritual entrepreneurship. These are the people we need today. You know, these are the new prophets and priests. You know that we uh, that we we need to empower and unleash. You know? I think one of the most powerful sermons I heard during the whole pandemic. The takeaway essentially was this, this faith leader saying, I, I actually don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what's going to happen to my role. I don't know if I'll even be here in a year. I don't know if this institution will be here in a year. I don't know if you'll be here in a year. And, and it was that, it was so refreshing, right? Because everybody, everybody turned during the pandemic. Whether you were a subscriber to QAnon or you were reading the CDC's every single missive about what you do or don't do, you were certain. You became certain because you followed that screed. And this faith leader stood up and said, I don't know. And I, I think the enemy, the greatest enemy right now is certainty. And therefore, the biggest invitation, the most important, rich, robust invitation that we can invite people into, like you said, Spencer, to co-create is, is to set aside what you are certain about for long enough that you can sit in the liminal moment that we're in right now. Because we are between things. Where we're at right now in our society, politically, look at higher education, 2,500 universities are going to close in the next five years. And that was a prediction before the pandemic based on the economic numbers. We're, we are not at a destination we are on the way somewhere. We are on the way. And I think the best thing, you know, when I'm taking a nice long road trip, the highway is the most boring part of it. It's what's on the side of the road. It's the tangents. It's the, so the more that we can get out of that certainty, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to take this turn, this turn, this turn, and I'll get to my destination in 42 and a half minutes. No, actually, let's get real curious about who we're riding with. Let's get real curious about what's on the side of the road. And maybe take some time along the way. I think, you know, going back to that, that Egypt and Exodus metaphor, the Israelites, you know, they didn't choose to do this. God had different plans for them, but it doesn't take 40 years to cross that desert, right? God set them on the path that such that it took 40 years to zig and zag. And it wasn't about seeing the sights. It was about finding themselves. And that's, that's how they came to become. And I think that's the space we're in. The less certain we are, the more we can come to become the people who we need to be in this drama. I love that. Ilan, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or keep track of what you're doing? Great. Thank you. Uh, 
uh, go to gleannetwork.org, G-L-E-A-N network.org, um, and, uh, and sign up for our newsletter, or you can just get in touch directly with me. My email's up on the website. Um, give me a shout. And I actually mean it. I'll, I'll respond to it. Um, <laughs> and it's not because I've got a million hours on my hands, but it's because being in sacred conversation with fellow travelers, there's, there are very few things during my work day that will give me as much um, fulfillment as being able to learn from and with folks like the people who are listening right now. So get in touch. Well, perfect. Well, thanks for joining us, Elon. Spencer is always great to be with you. And thanks everybody for listening. Wonderful conversation. Thanks again. What a joy. Make sure you support the Solarize podcast by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating and write a review.